going on everyone welcome back episode 11 to ncb square table we took last week off it was our bye week but uh we're back in action we got everyone here with us uh brock what's going on man how's it going not too bad uh surreal how you doing doing well and uh robert uh quick little congratulations on the blackhawks making it to the stanley cup finals thank you likewise for your cats Oh uh, yeah, we'll we'll get into the Cavs a little later, but we'll start off right now with some NHL talk. All I know about it, Lightning Hawks starts today. First game's in Tampa Bay, right? Yep, correct. That covers my NHL knowledge, so I'll swing it over to you guys now. All right. Well, before we get right into the Cup final, I, I would I thought that we would start with um, a little reaction from the conference finals. Uh, I touched on with you guys in the roundtable, but we might as well talk about it here too. Where uh, do the Ducks and Rangers go from here, guys, after their – I'm not going to say collapses. They lost the better teams. But where do they go after their game seven losses? Uh, okay. Uh, well, uh, for one thing, the Ducks definitely they, – they came out with more than we expected, or more than I expected at the very least. I, I didn't expect uh, them to compete to the level they did. Uh, and I think the onus falls on their goaltending. It was a huge problem those last few games. They would have... Uh, Frederick Anderson kind of fell on his face, and that did not help them out. I, uh, they obviously were outplayed uh, overall as a team, I think, but they definitely were in it with a chance, and I think that this team continues to compete to that level or to a similar level as long as Perry and Getzlaff are still, are still producing. Uh, They'll probably need to address the goaltending in the future. They'll probably need to address the defense. But uh, that top line is pretty scary. And the Rangers on the flip side, they can't keep doing this to, to Lundqvist. It's like they, they've been put, he's been putting them on his back for years now. And they, they can't keep doing it to him. He was, he was destroyed after losing that game. It was actually pretty sad to see. Uh, and he played well in that in Game Seven. Like he was good. He was good for probably outside of those two goals. That first, actually, even that that first goal was actually the only one that was iffy. The second goal, he had, there was nothing he could do there. That was a great shot from Palat. But uh, the first goal was a little bit iffy. But even then, like he he did as he did enough. That he put the team in the position to win over and over again, and they just could not deliver. And okay, and something to add to that though is while I think that the Rangers continue to be competitive because they've got pieces there. Uh, there's talk, by the way, now of Rick Nash being moved uh, to St. Louis for TJ Oshie. Uh, but otherwise, if that's a revolving door, then we're also going to see some revolving doors as Dan Boyle retires, pro- hopefully soon. The man is like 40. Wait, uh, for TJ Oshie? Yeah, that was, that was a recent... Breaker, not the same kind of player... I know, but but that's uh that's something that I know that I noticed that that was a discussion earlier, and then also, uh, so Dan Boyle is going to retire, Marty St. Louis St. Louis is going to retire soon, so they're going to have to fill some spots there. But I think that overall, as long as Lundqvist can keep doing this, they're going to be competitive. Brock? Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to agree with Surreal on both points. You know, the Ducks, the Ducks are going to be there for quite some time, but their goaltending is just the only thing they really need to fix. I mean, yeah, their defense isn't the best, but it's not such a glaring problem as their goaltending is, so uh, preferably for them to go out in this offseason, they're going to want to snag up a good goaltender or at least, you know, get somebody young that they can build up for the next few years while they still have 
uh, parry and get slapped, and then hopefully right at the end of their career they can get this kid in there so they have something to build off of for the future. Um, as for the Rangers, it's just goal scoring. I mean, they, they've got a great defense. They have a fantastic goaltender, but they just can't score any goals. That was their downfall um, against the Lightning. So if they can go out there, you know, as you said, Boyle's probably going to be retiring. St. Louis, there's a likelihood he might be retiring. You know, what they do with Nash, you know, who knows. But if they can go out there and get a couple a couple good goal scorers, um, that'll really help them up and make them an even more scary team next year. The Ducks should sign Niemi. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the thing with the Ducks was we did underestimate them, but the way they I mean the way they played, that was their competition. They they looked like a cup contender. I mean, they could have beaten the Rangers or the Lightning or at least pushed the Lightning or the Rangers. They looked legitimate. And I'm going to disagree that it's the goaltend. I mean, Frederick Anderson obviously not up to snuff. Ever since Taves uh, scored those two goals in the last minute, he sort of just crumbled into pieces, just melted to the pressure. Um, but their defense, I mean, how many odd man rushes did the Hawks have in Game 7, if you guys watched? Uh, there was at least, I would say I could count at least seven or eight that they had. The Hawks had. Have had, like, eight goals. They could have had eight goals. I'm, I'm not sure how they did yeah. it. And and actually, I was looking at the stats. And I think at one point, the only category that Blackhawks were leading in is odd man rushes. It's like hello. Well, yeah, no, it was like prime scoring chances. Like the Ducks had shots, but they were from the outside and right. all the shots that Crawford could see. While every time they got it on the Hawks got it on Anderson, it was like three on one or two on one. No, but they're a good team and they were a contender. The, the only thing is they ran into a buzzsaw. The Hawks decided to turn it on in game six and seven. To be the better team, and they did because they are. That there's nothing else to say about the Ducks. The Ducks have to hope their defense, uh, in my mind, just develops a little more because they have a young defense. Because if they don't, they're going to be stuck in the same pattern. And then they also, I think they need, uh, I think they need Getzloff to be more of a leader. Right. If you're, I understand if your team is down 2-0 really fast in five or six minutes, it's tough. But guys like Babes, guys like Kopitar, you know, those teams. With those captains and leaders and Dustin Brown, whatever, if you know what I'm like, Dustin Brown, they're not giving up once it's 2-0. It seems like the Ducks just crumble in the pieces as soon as things aren't going their way. And that, that's just, that was really the story of Game 6 and 7, too. Does that, does that kind of go with the, the... I mean, I don't like to say this, but it's something to bring up. Is So Bruce Boudreaux is now 1-6 in, in, in career Game 7s. And do you think that that has that could have anything to do with it? They've lost Game Sevens the last two years. Well, yes, obviously. I, I would. Boudreau is one of the. Most, I mean, he's not a good coach. He's one oh, I six, agree. One okay. in seven in home Game Sevens now. One in six. It's one in six. It's one in six. Okay, uh, I think so. But that that's bad. Like that's bad. He got he. Here's how bad it is for Boudreau. He didn't have the line matchups he wanted on his own home ice in Game 7. Joe Quanville would put Taves out to win the faceoff, and of course, Jonathan Taves, because he's a great player, won every faceoff that he was on in the first few minutes, and then he would take him off the ice, and then Kessler would come off the ice. Then Taves would come back on for the faceoff, and Kessler would come back. Same process, and eventually, they kept doing that until it was Taves and Getzloff, and then Taves ate Getzloff up. If you're Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux, you... And you don't get the line matchup. That's an indictment on you. He got out-coached, plain and simple. Right. I agree. And then the other side, with the Rangers, uh, 
I wouldn't disagree with, with Lundqvist. I mean, Lundqvist is a great goaltender, but you still have to build the team. It's very hard to build a team around him. And once you have the team, then it's easier. I mean, Lundqvist, he'll get the cup he deserves. He doesn't deserve the cup, or he does if he was backstopping a better team. The thing with the Rangers is uh, they have a lot of good secondary scorers that would be on, on other cup contending teams. They have a lot of good players. They have no, like you guys were t- touching on, they have no game breakers. They have no Tave, they have no Kane, they have no Kopitar, no Stamkos, no no Sagan. They don't have anyone like that that could take over a game or get you a crucial goal. They could score. It's just that sometimes in the playoffs, obviously, checking gets tighter, and the truly great players are the ones that will score when the checking gets tighter, and they don't have that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then once again, that, that kind of, like, does any blame fall on Vigneault? Because it's just second time, well, it's the second or third time that his teams have com- crumbled like this. Or, or not crumbled, but per se, but like not, just not been up to expectations. Obviously, uh, Vancouver, when, when he took them to the Stanley Cup Finals, that was that was a time. Uh, like, they had that series wrapped, and then they <laughs> lost control. And then last year in the Stanley Cup Finals, they didn't really pose that much of a threat to L.A. at all. They were just not, a, not close competition. Well, last year... New York, they just didn't have the talent. They just weren't as good as L.A. The, the, the Western Conference Final was the de facto uh, Stanley Cup Final last year. But, yeah, overall, that falls on Vigneault, too. He's doesn't have a good reputation. He has good regular season teams like Boudreaux, and then there's just something about both of those men that their players don't that their players don't pull, uh, pull up the snuff, and the media will defend them, and the media won't call for guys' jobs, but... The time of year matters is April, May, and June, and quite simply put, those guys don't get it done, especially when they have the advantage. Same, same class, I think, as, as Todd McClellan as a coach, although I put less onus on McClellan and more on GM Doug Wilson, but that's a whole separate argument that I cry about every night. I would like to mention that guys like... Well, you can also say GMs on uh, the Ducks. I would like to mention that the Ducks traded Bobby Ryan for Yakov oh, yeah. Horrible trade. Yeah. So I just like I'd just like to mention that. But yeah, I mean, at some point you, you go out for results in spring, not because your guys are winning. No one no one celebrates Pacific Division titles, or no one pers- no one celebrates uh, the number one seed in the West. Mm-hmm. Just like Stanley Cups and and Conn Smites and and whatever and all that, you know. Sometimes- especially in a league like especially in a league like uh, like the NHL when. It's not shocking to see the eight seed beat the one seed. It's not a big. It's not a huge deal. Like that's happened multiple times before. It's not that. It's not like the NBA where it's happened like three times. Well, I think with the NHL, I think it's. I mean, some bounces start going your way. You can turn it on. Right. So if you're a lower seed. I mean, you have a lot of talent, then you can come through. So right, but like being the regular seed, like the President's Trophy winner, doesn't like automatically justify that you're like that elite team. Like, the, the Rangers, they weren't that elite team. Yeah, I'd agree. It'll, 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 again, also contact depends on who's the President's Trophy winner. Like, if the Kings were ever the President's Trophy or the Blackhawks or the Lightning, then yes, those teams are really that good and probably would, would be in the Cup Final. But, but that's just what I'm saying, it doesn't make or break you being Yeah, yeah. The Rangers, I think, are just a piece or two away, while the Ducks just have to hope their defense develops a little more. Right. All right, um, moving on a little bit in this conversation. Uh, Con's my favorites, and we'll take a touch a bit more on this. So Con's my favorite 
for the Bolts? Rock. Um, I think it's Tyler Johnson. Um, just simply because if you watch him over this past, you know, the entire playoff series, he's just been unbelievable. I mean, I know he's got those other two guys with him, the triplets, but, you know, he, he's just really shined in this entire playoff series. In the regular season, you know, he was a good player, but he wasn't a guy you're like, yeah, that's the guy that can take over the entire playoff series, and he comes in and he did it. And, I mean, he didn't have as great as a series against the Rangers as he did against his past two, but he still looked really, really good. And, um... You know, I know Surreal had mentioned Steven Stamkos in our roundtable. That's viable as well. I just think that as a whole playoffs, Tyler Johnson's had a better whole playoffs when it comes down to the Calm Smythe. It's who is the best player in the majority of in the high majority of the playoffs, basically. I think he's been that guy uh, throughout the entire league for the entire playoffs. Uh, am I going? Uh, yeah, so, uh, so I did say Stamkos, and the reason for that is quietly Stamkos is actually up to 17 points in 20 games. Uh, Tyler Johnson has 21. But something else to note is Stamkos really, I think, is setting the tone right now. Like, he he brought leadership to when they faced adversity uh, against Montreal and then again against New York when New York pulled out that 5-1 win and then looking to rebound, they did. Uh, and I think Stamkos is bringing it not only scoring-wise but also physically, which is something that we don't see as often from him. And I think that that's something that really sets him apart as he's actually captaining this team right now. Like, he is their leader right now. And that's important to me. I'm going to disagree with you and still go with Brock. So Tyler Johnson's been unreal. Yeah, he didn't have his greatest series against the Rangers. I think he had a hat trick in game three or, or game two. I think he had a hat trick in game two, I believe. So he's still setting the tone for the triplets line. That's the by far... The best producing line for the Lightning, I think they have like 54 points all together. He's the guy that just leads them through. I mean, it's the same thing with last year with the Kings, with Jeff Carter. In my mind, Jeff Carter should have been the Conn Smythe not Justin Williams because of a Game 7 stat. Whoever's, lead, whoever's leading your best point-producing line, in my mind, more often than the Conn Smythe winner. And Tyler Johnson... I mean, he's he's the way the, the way his career arc is going because I've, you've been hearing about it the past few days. The comparison, the Lightning are sort of like the young Hawks. I mean, Tyler Johnson's like a Patrick Kane playing center. He's turning well, into a superstar right before our eyes. I know that's what I'm saying. He's like a he's like a he's he's Patrick Kane five years ago. So I can only imagine what he's going to be five years from now. I mean, he's not going to get obviously a player can't evolve that much, but he's going to even get he's going to get even better like Kane did. So Tyler Johnson is my pick for the Bulls for the Conn Smythe. Uh, moving over to the Hawks, Conn Smythe favorite. Uh, um, I'll, I'll go with uh, Jonathan Taves. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned with Stamkos, he's been the leader of the Hawks throughout the entire thing. They're quiet and very, you know, low down, fearless leader. He's been, he's been amazing throughout the entire uh, playoffs for them. He hasn't come out and he's not flashy, you know, like Patrick Kane is or some of the other guys in the Hawks. He just gets in there, he does his job, and he, he gets it done. Um, he's been very consistent throughout the entire playoffs. There's never been a moment where you've been like, where's where's Steven Stam or sorry, where's uh, Jonathan Taves at? You know, what's he doing? Uh, he's been very good throughout the entire playoffs. Uh, and I think, you know, as a leader for that team, he's, he's been amazing. Uh, to me, I think that's a no-brainer for him. Yeah, I love him. Three of them. Yeah, I'd have to like I I definitely agree. I think uh, his his two goals to tie the game in, in game five, 
and then the two goals to basically put the game away in Game 7. Like, that, that's what your leader and that's what your best player has to do, uh, is show up and take the air out of the building, basically. Like, he, that building went quiet. He put two goals in the back of the net in the first five minutes. I would like to point out that it didn't go quiet. Then all the Ducks fans left the building, all the Hawks fans <laughs> left, so pretty loud for Hawks fans. But yeah, go on. But but the point is, like, he he basically put nails in the coffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something that your best player and your leader has to do when he's taking your team, like, when he's when he's leading from the front. He, he put nails in the coffin on the Ducks. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Jonathan Taves is uh, the best player for the Hawks. He's the best captain in the league, best leader in the league. So that's the tone for them. You know, he's, he's your first center. But considering that the Hawks are going to continue playing four defensemen, which is something that obviously those four defensemen can handle, and um, considering that it's basically two number one pairs, and considering the minutes that Duncan Keith plays, in my mind, Duncan Keith's been the best player in the postseason everything he's had, he's had to deal with. How much? How many points did you say Steven Stamkos has? 17? Duncan Keith has 18 as a defenseman. Correct. Duncan Keith has 18 as a defenseman. He's leading the playoffs in ice time by far. He uh, He's anchoring. He's the best defenseman in the league. He had three assists in game six, setting the tone for them. He had two assists in game seven, also, on primary, also primary assists. I mean, he's doing everything. He plays every... He play, He's on the penalty kill. He's on the power play. He... He he's just so calm. You see, you see guys like I think it was in Game Seven. Corey Perry has a breakaway, and Keith's not panicking. He's just skating with him. Hope checks him calmly. That's what, that's what Keith does. And, and uh, I I don't think he gets enough uh, media credit or media attention for what he does. Everyone focuses on Taves and Kane and how how uh, flashy they are. Well, Keith's arguably your homegrown first ballot Hall of Famer as well. He's the best defense in the league and. I mean, they go on this way, and he keeps playing at this, this high level. Uh, people are calling him a freak because of the minutes he's playing, which he is, how conditioned he is. Then there's no one else that I would I would put as the con Smythe, unless like Jonathan Taves or Kane has like a 20 point series or something. Not not 20 point, but like a 10 point series or something. But Kane or Keith's the Keith's the guy here. Keith is is the guy in my mind. Um, okay, and then one reason. The Hawks will, or rather, one reason uh, Tampa Bay will beat the Hawks. Let's start, let's start with that, too. Let's with that. Um, their goal scoring. Uh, they've just been on fire throughout the entire playoffs. They, they've lit teams up, you know, here. And they've had games where they've been a little bit low, but for the major- most part, they've just been lighting up goaltenders. Uh, no matter how good or bad they are, I mean, they lit up Carey Price. They lit up Henrik Lundqvist, two of, two of the, if not the two best goalies in the entire league, and they just made them look average at some points. Um, the triplets line, Stamkos, you know, even guys like on the back end, like Victor Hedman, he's been fantastic throughout the playoffs. You know, their their offense and their goal scoring is what's going to pull them through. Ben Bishop is not, you know, some crazy elite, you know, goaltender. We all know that. He's good enough to probably win a Stanley Cup behind a ridiculously uh, awesome offense like the Tampa Bay had. So if they win, it's going to be because they're just outscoring the Hawks every single night. Uh, okay, well, I, while I agree, uh, Ben Bishop's not elite. I think he's getting there. Like I think in a few, and maybe a season or two times, like he will be in the conversation as a top five or six goalie. Uh, I think he's that good, uh, talent-wise, not production-wise up to this point. But we're seeing flashes in these playoffs. He's been 
Like that game five and game like th- those shutouts that he put out against the Rangers, like those those were still those were good performances from him. Game seven shutout in in Madison Square Garden. That's not like that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, he played well. Uh, and then on top of that, I think that one of those things that may become a problem. I'm not saying, but this is speculatively a problem. Is the fact that the the Blackhawks are playing for for real defensemen and the last pair is just kind of a mistake. Uh, and then I think that that may become a problem as Tampa Bay rolls three skill lines. They have Filippo playing third line minutes sometimes, and he's he's one of one of the more skilled. Pl- he's a very skilled player. Uh, and and that being said. Uh, like I think that's one of those things that does cause problems, and also the knock on Tampa Bay coming in was the fact that they were inexperienced and too youthful and did not don't have enough experience. They overcame a lot of tests here. Seven game series against Detroit. Detroit is always a difficult team to play against. Well coached, well disciplined, uh, very experienced, always there when it matters. Uh, overcame Carey Price and Henrik Lundqvist, two best goalies in the world. I think they're ready to compete in this in this Stanley Cup playoffs and Stanley yeah. Cup finals. Sorry. Oh my God! I just wanna I wanna go right to the Hawks because after what you just said, Jesus. Okay, no, I mean if they win, they're t- they're they're top six because they don't have a uh, great a great third line. Their top six primarily is gonna just have a great series as they've had for the first playoffs. I mean, Sam Coast, Johnson, Phil Kula, a lot, Kucherov. They're all gonna they're all gonna have great they're all gonna have a great series if they win the Stanley Cup. It's as simple as that. Um, they're gonna have to outplay the Hawks top six, which is, which is a tall order. But that that that's what it's gonna take to to win here, which they can. Well, they're a great team. They have their great young talent. Um, that's what it'll take for them to win the cup. Um, I mean, I have no, I would add more, but you guys literally just touched on it. Um, okay, so the one reason the Hawks will beat the Bulls. Uh, experience more than anything. They've been there. They've done that. Um, as you said, Jonathan Taves has been on fire. Patrick Kane has been great. Duncan Keith has been fantastic. After that pretty poor first series against the Predators, uh, Corey Crawford has come into his own again, and he's been great. Um, they've, like I said, they've been there. They've done that. They know what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. They've done it before. Um, that that group of guys have done it before. Um, their third and fourth lines have been awesome throughout the entire playoffs. It's not just been you know those top two guys or top two lines. Uh, top to bottom, they've just been really really good. Uh, like we said, uh, we talked about them for this past series. You know they're like a well-oiled machine. Um, they're they've really just kind of turned it on uh, every series after one after another. They've gotten better and better and better. Um, I think that that experience uh, that. Kane and Taves and Keith and company all have is going to really propel them into uh, a finals win. Rio? Um, I, like, I, I don't have a lot to add to that. I think that was uh, well said. The Hawks are going to have, ex- they have experience on their side. They've got probably the mental edge definitely in this series, having been there, having done that. Uh, Quenville's uh, at this point definitely is a better coach. Uh, they've got uh, they've got the best leader in the game. They've got arguably the best defenseman in the game. I don't know if I'd say that, but there is an argument to be made. At the, uh, level, at the level he's playing, he's the best defenseman in the game right now. He like, like I, I would not complain about that statement. Uh, yeah. And and I think that this is one. Of, this is going to be an experience versus talent. In in terms of, like it's it, it's probably clear to me that Tampa Bay is at this point a more talented team. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say that they're the more talented team. 
They top are not the bottom the, of the roster. They are the most top the bottom. bottom. Okay, let me let me. I would this. say I would here. say that. No, they are not. I would definitely say it. Okay. Chicago has four defensemen. Tampa Bay has two that are good. Everyone else are tire fires, spare tires. I I didn't I think Garrison's I think Garrison's good. I think. Oh, they are. No, they are getting killed in possession. You want to know why the Rangers scored seven or, or scored so many goals in Tampa Bay? Uh, Braden Coburn. Uh, sorry to yell, but the Tampa Bay defense after the first after the after the after the first pair is awful. That's why that's why it happened. They were they're able to turn it on because of the, their forward support, but the Tampa Bay defense after their first pair is awful. Matt Carl is their fifth defenseman. He's good. He is not good. He, I, he played. He played. You want to know why uh, Chicago rolled through Philadelphia in 2010? Some such names as Braden Coburn, Matt Carl, those guys. You know, the, the, those guys that are playing for Tampa right now also played for Philadelphia back then. All right. Well, that's an argument. Top to bottom, here here's the reason Chicago's going to win. It's not only experience. The top six, arguably even. Arguably. Patrick Kane is the best win in the game. When I talk about centers, he's the best win in the game. This is his time of year. Hayes and Stamkos basically cancel each other out. There's different types of players. And then you saw Brock, Brock touched on it. The bottom six for Chicago has 38 points this playoffs. That's that's pretty good for a bottom six. The only points the bottom five, essentially, since the Tampa has 11 forwards, top 12, eight points total. Balanced scoring. So, I mean, it's more than likely that the top six for Tampa Bay, Kucherov, and all those guys can keep it going. But, you know, there's a chance that they get canceled out, and then your third and fourth energy lines don't do anything. Well, you watch a Chicago game, the third and fourth lines are, the, are guys that are generating offense and staying in the offensive zone and scoring and scoring a lot of goals. And I also just touched on it, too. After Victor Hedeman and Anton Strawman, I mean, the Tampa Bay defense is sort of a tire, is sort of just spare tires. These are guys that are getting killed in possession. I, I mean, I, I look, I'm looking at it right now. I, I think they have like a 38%, uh, uh, 38%, 40%, their, their bottom pairs. It's not – there's a reason that the Rangers were able to score seven and five goals. They weren't able to do it once Tampa Bay turned on their overall speed, but the Hawks can match that speed. And the Hawks top the bottom – and the Hawks basically, their top four, that defense – we heard the same thing with Anaheim trying to wear them down. These guys are world-class players. These are, Johnny Oduya and Nicholas Jalmerson would be a number one pair for a lot of teams. They'd probably be the number one pair for, for the Ducks, if we're going to be honest. That would be the second pair for the Lightning. And they've proven they can handle the minutes. They've proven they can handle 27, 26 minutes. They did it last series. They did it, they did it against Minnesota. Uh, I, expect that to, I expect that to continue. Top to bottom, Chicago's just a deeper team. And Crawford Bishop is basically washed. That's so... Not, either goaltender is not going to win or lose you the series. But, uh, yeah, so Chicago is the deeper team, top to bottom. And they can match Tampa Bay stars. And then there's not even the experience factor. But I'm just talking about depth. They're the better, in my mind, it's just... Okay. That's where the Hawks have the advantage. All right, and then finally, let's get to the pick. Who wins the Stanley Cup in how many games? Chicago wins in seven games. I'll say Tampa Bay in seven. 
on home ice? The Hawks and six. I want to just not going to be denied. Not going to be denied at this point. Lightning. The Lightning's time is going to come. Lightning time will probably be next year, but not going to be denied at this point. I would also like to point out Brandon Morrow, also known as the reason the U.S. almost won the gold medal in 2010 because he was on because Brandon Morrow was on a Canadian roster. I, I will. I will say. I am picking the Hawks, but I'm hoping the Lightning win, so my boy, Captain Forever, Brendan Morrow, wins the Stanley Cup. He may be the reason I lose the Stanley Cup, is my point. <laughs> no. No. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm seriously pointing it out, because someone pointed it out uh, yesterday. He made the Canadian roster in 2010, and he played like a spare tire. Yeah, that was, that, was five, that was five years ago. I mean, if, if, if Tampa Bay loses, it's not going to be because of some... Guy who's on their third or fourth line, you no, know, that, just playing average. Because their third and fourth lines are not that good. Because their third and fourth lines can't. As a whole, maybe, but not because of Brendan Morrow alone. I mean, let's Morrow get real. Alone, yeah, but I'm talking about his overall lines. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you know, we'll talk more next week about it. But yeah, Hawks and six in my mind. Hawks and seven from Brock and Tampa and seven from Surreal. Uh, let's throw it over to Nate for for the NBA. Before I say anything, Bruins over the Kings in eight games. <laughs> eight? Eight games. Might have to stretch that to nine. Nah. They'll, just, they'll play an even amount. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we'll jump over to the NBA now. We got a Cavs-Warriors finals. Most people didn't think the Warriors would make it at the start of the season. Rookie coach, the uh, Steve Kerr. Cavs were pretty much the favorite throughout the year. Kevin Love got hurt, still went through as a favorite. But uh, before we go into that, we'll do uh, conference finals, uh, like uh, recaps. We'll start off with the Warriors-Rockets. They'll curse a little B on James Harden, pretty much decimated the Rockets. Do you guys believe in that curse, or is that just that's just Twitter fun? Twitter <laughs> fun. I 100% believe in it. Got to pray to little God. Lil B. I mean, the Warriors are a 67-win team and probably the deepest team in the NBA, so... There's really no curse. Well, you guys have anything to say about how the Rockets played, how the Warriors played? Asario? I honestly like I've never been I've never been high on the Rockets. Props to James Harden for that double double in game five with fourteen points and twelve turnovers. Uh it's just I think the Rockets were generally the way they are run, the way they are coached. Kevin McHale's not a good coach. I don't care what anyone says. He's he can't coach that team. Uh, he just kind of rolls the ball to, to Harden and says dribble the ball and and figure it out. Uh, and I, I just they they were not set up to succeed because Josh Smith is a time bomb. He can't like he's talented per se, but like he can't he can't be that real like that important player on a team. Uh, Dwight Howard has Dwight Howard's game has fallen off a cliff. Like, let's be real. Like, he used to be that guy you could put random guys around. He could get win you forty games and then figure the rest of them out from there. Uh, and then, and it's just like, like this team is there. Like they're they're the get hot and figure it out team, and they just it's not you can't figure it out against, in my mind, the best team in the league. No, yeah, I agree with the same thing. At the same point, the Warriors just better. The Rockets going on and really running on fumes. I mean, Howard, 
Has he really fallen off a cliff, or is he the same player? Because I think he's the same player. I think once teams realize that he has absolutely no post game and he just dunks the ball off an easy off easy passes or hard passes, uh, teams learn how to defend him, and he just sort of became a better DeAndre Jordan. So, I mean, they were ne- they were never that constructed that well to begin with. Little B curse. The the Warriors are a sixty seven win team, literally. Statistically, one of the best teams of all time if they could finish off this run. Five games was actually respectable for the Rockets. Yeah. I don't think anyone would agree with that. To win a game against that team, pretty respectable. I have nothing else to add. I mean, that's, that, that's about it. Also, James Harden, he can't do it by himself. That's yeah, it. And let it be known that Steve Kerr has turned Harrison Barnes into a good NBA player, and I never thought that would happen. I never believed Harrison Barnes would be like a, a starting caliber NBA player. Oh, I, I will comment that it's hilarious also that Mark Jackson, basically the ex-boyfriend of the Warriors, is announcing all is announcing all of the Warriors, <laughs> yeah. and now it's the finals too. I mean, I know Nate wants the Cavs to win, but how funny would it be if like the Warriors are on the, like the trophy on the trophy stand and Curry's lifting the trophy or whatever or, or Bogut? Didn't Jackson hate Bogut? Oh man! Yeah. What will Jackson say? That, that was it's funny favorite. because this roster is not that different. Like it's not that different from roster. our roster. It's the same roster. Yeah, I'm pretty just, sure. I'm pretty sure. Too much. Yeah. No, my favorite moment out of the whole thing was right at the end. I think it was uh, Van Gundy. He was like, "Oh, so uh, Mark, you have anything to say about this team?" As all the confetti's pouring down, everyone's celebrating. He's just looking at the court with a blank stare. Like, what the hell happened? Last year, <laughs> this team couldn't win a series, and now they're going to the championship. But hey. to a to uh, touch on that Josh Smith stuff, I think he's horrible. The fact that he, like, the Rockets traded for him and Rockets fans thought he would contribute, like, how he was with the Hawks in, like, 08, 07. I'm telling you, Josh Smith would be a good NBA player if he'd stop shooting from 15-plus feet out. Like, if he hey, just hey, stopped. Hey, hey. He made seven threes against the Clippers in game six. No, that's him making seven threes was the worst thing to ever happen to the Rockets. Because then yeah, he yeah, thinks, yeah. oh, I, if I made seven, I'll make eight next game. I'll make nine a game after that. It's like, no, you can't like, shoot. If he had a break, he'd be a great like, – he's talented. If he just like, hunkered down and just focused on his like post-game, focused on his athleticism, I mean, he'd be like a mini LeBron. Yeah, like, that's actually, that, those were the comparisons back in 2007, 2008. He was like a poor man's LeBron. He and Iguodala were the two poor man's LeBrons. He would literally be an all-star player, like, but he's never had an all-star uh, decision in his career because of that. Right. He wants to be a three-point shooter and like a power forward's body with no form. I just don't understand how all these coaches he's ever had in his career, like, why don't they reprimand him every time he shoots a three? Like, he's a yeah, career, like twenty-two percent three. I tell him go sit down. Yeah, that was basically like the whole reason why he got. Uh, just released from the Pistons. Yeah, was, yeah Van Gundy play. was like, I'm having none of this. So they like, let him go. Mike an awful coach, let's be honest. And then Larry Drew in Atlanta. Man. Yeah, Larry Peter. Drew is poor. Just catering to him. All right. One, um, one thing that was just oh, one last thing. The quick surprise. I th- I'm surprised it ended in five. I expected before the series started, I thought it would maybe go six, like the Rockets would steal maybe one in Golden State and win one at home. I wouldn't have been surprised if it was a sweep, honestly. I was going to be the other way. I'm surprised it went five because I expected the Warriors to sweep. The Rockets just weren't deep enough, Nate. Howard's not that good. He was was never that good in my mind. 
I think he was one of the most overrated players ever by based off the early years of his career. Not really a superstar. I'm surprised it wasn't super either. Howard is really like you have to build a you have to cater the team to uh, play teams focusing on him so they can put shooters around. Like the Magic team that worked, it was a reason that worked. It's because that's the only team that works for Dwight Howard, and that, that does not a make a super flawed team. That was also a flawed team because they they were built around three point shooting. And when the three when the three point shots aren't falling, like they don't have any game breakers. Like the Warriors are built constructed the same way, but they don't have a they don't have a offensive uh, sieve in the middle like Howard. But they also have game breakers. Like if Curry's not shooting threes or if Thompson's not well, shooting, yeah. like they can they can create more offense. Yeah, but I'm what I'm saying is that that's what makes Dwight not a true superstar is because he cannot adapt to playing yeah. a variety of styles. He has to have that team and it has to work. And one year it worked, and the rest of the team years it didn't really work. I, I always thought it was the funniest thing how he like. There's always this reports in the summer how he works with with uh, Hakeem uh, yeah. post game in the summer. I. Hakeem was one of the best post players I've ever I've ever watched like on videos because obviously I was too young to watch. I don't see that in Dwight. Yeah, I don't, there's nothing. There's no Hakeem influence in there at all. I think I saw like I think I, I saw him try to do like what's the what's the move called the, the dream the, shake. Oh, the, yeah, the dream I think I saw him try to do a dream shake and he turned it and he lost the ball as he as he put. <laughs> And, and also, it's he difficult when you come up the floor and turn the ball over four times in a row. It's like, that does not help anyone. Yeah, yeah. That whole team, on paper, you're like, oh, they got Corey Brewer now, Josh Smith maybe will contribute. James Harden's obviously MVP caliber. You, you would have thought that maybe they'd win a couple games, but they were just a mess. Another team that was a mess these uh, conference finals, the Hawks. Were you guys uh, as shocked as I was about a sweep? No. Uh, okay. Uh, I was not once I saw uh, once I saw that half the team was dead. Like that losing. Okay, Damari Carroll's injury was really limiting to them because he was he was the guy on LeBron. Obviously, he wasn't going to stop LeBron. No one stops LeBron. Usually, um, and also losing Corver was huge, and there's obviously the and then the Horford ejection was big. Like there, after those things happen, it's like there, there's no way they're winning a series. There's no way they're winning games in this series with that happening, uh, and obviously the the bad press on uh, with with Delvadova and everything, and that and that stuff. What do you think about all that? Like, do you guys think he's dirty or? Uh, I don't. I personally, first of all, uh, I I won't say I won't say definitively, but I don't think that there it was all competitive nature. Is all I mean. It's like I don't think it was all competitive, like because he was over uber competitive. We talking about Dallas Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He's just one of those. He's an agitator. That's his role. Nothing. There's nothing more to say about it. I mean. Not about to competitive nature like Sarita's saying, but whatever incidences he had, he's not a. I'm not gonna say he's a dirty player. That's just his role. Just I don't think. I don't think. I, I would say 99% of NBA players or athletes in general, none of them go. Most of them do not go out with the mindset to injure players. I think that that's not. There, there's few cases where that's like that's a thing. Like guys like Ron Artest, like the, he is the guy that goes out specifically to injure players. Or a lot of the time, but I, and I don't think that he is that way, and I don't think that 99% of the players are that way. 
Well, if you ask Nate with Kelly Olenek. Uh, <laughs> that, I, I can't even touch on that because that whole thing still, especially now that what position the Cavs are in, that whole thing just grinds my gears the wrong uh, and, way. And, but I think that there was, like, I don't think Horford should have been tossed in that in that game three. Like, that, that I think that that was... In you, a don't, you don't think dropping the people's elbow on someone deserves an ejection? Well, no, I, it was a flagrant one. I don't think it's a flagrant two. He didn't hurt the guy. Wait, Dwayne Johnson was at the game? <laughs> oh, you, you didn't see the uh, Horford play? I did see it. I'm just kidding. Uh, for some reason, that hole just went over my head. I don't know. Still, <laughs> it's like 2 o'clock here, but I woke up like two hours ago. So. Yeah, yeah. Fourth wall. But uh, um, just to jump back over to the Rockets, do you think Dwight deserved to be ejected for that uh, elbow that he threw on uh, Bogut? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I yeah. That was a frustration just pointing out that their season was over, but yeah, absolutely. So if he deserved to be ejected on that, then why wouldn't Horford deserve to be ejected on the Delva Dova play? Well, I'm not disagreeing. So you're disagreeing. Yeah, they're virtually like the same thing. Because, because I think especially, I think that's considering the magnitude of that game. And I, I just generally, I think that while it was poorly intentioned, it was stu- it was a ter- stupid play. But I think that's uh, given the game magnitude and given there there's there was already talk about Delvadova being that way, whether it's true or not. Uh, I think that supporting your team in that in that capacity, where he didn't go out and he didn't hurt the like Delvadova was fine. Uh, and I think with that being said, it's something you have to let go. The Hawks were in that game. And they were still in that game after he left, but arguably they would have won that game with Horford on the floor. Horford was the best player in the first half. Yeah, he, was, he was dominant. Sorry. Would you get to the bigger point that just, I mean, they were decimated by injuries. I mean, the Corver injury probably just overall killed that. Yeah, the Corver injury was probably the biggest one because deceptively he is the most important player on the team. But you have to think, the, the, same, uh, the same questions we had about them all year, that they didn't have a game breaker, and yeah. despite their excellent ball movement and team play and balanced scoring, that I mean, even the teams that do that, like people saying where they were like the Spurs East, Spurs have some stars. Spurs have Parker. Mm-hmm. Spurs have Leonard. They I have mean, the quietest star in the in the history of the game in Tim Duncan. Yeah, I mean, like he's easily a top top ten player in the history of the NBA, probably. Corker's a nice player. He's probably a top five center right now, but. Nowhere near a game breaker. Corver's a nice three point shooter, but you can. He's not an all star. Whether they like it or not, he's not an all star. First of all, it was a joke that the Hawks had four all stars. Who cares about nominating your team play? They're not all star level players. Yeah. Right. They're all within their context, context of their roles. And I just came back to bite Atlanta. I mean, the de facto Eastern Conference final was. Uh, the Bulls and Cavs. I, I can say that definitively now. Definitively now, even though the Cavs eventually rolled through that series too. That was. I mean, the Bulls gave, The Bulls would have beat the Hawks too, with the way I see it. Yeah, probably. Given, actually, no. Given the same circumstances of the teams, I would say yes. But yes, yeah, I agree. Uh, we could kind of do the same thing that we did with uh, with the Rangers and the Ducks. With where do these two teams go from here? Hawks and Hawks and Rockets. I think it's I think it's harder to do that to retool or to add a piece 
in the NBA than NHL. There's less. There's less quality level of talent and less free agent crop. I mean, who are the Rockets going to realistically add? Like the the construct of their team is based around flawed, play, flawed players. Now they're going to get rid of those guys and, and retool and reconstruct everything. I mean, maybe they get maybe they fire McHale, but they're not going to fire McHale after getting to the conference final. Like they're not going to do that. They need to. They need to, but they're not going to. They're not going to, and they don't. They they just have too many players that are flawed to be able to realistically change over everything within a year. They can't. It's it's a lo much longer term rebuild, and I don't see what they can add. I mean, people are talking yeah, about. I'm looking at this list, and and there's not a lot here that they can realistically get. Remember when people were talking about they should add Rondo to the con? That would make them. That would make them even worse. Not only because Rondo's regressed, but Overall, his skill set, he's also an awful offensive player. So within your starting five, you have Rondo and Howard. That's the funniest thing ever. Two guys that can't shoot free throws. Right. And, and, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at, like, the upcoming free agency. Uh, so LeBron's not leaving Cleveland, especially if they win. Marcus Gasol's not leaving Memphis. Uh, L.A., there's talk of him going to San Antonio. I don't, I, I don't even know if he leaves Portland. Uh, Kawhi is staying in San Antonio. Kevin Love is either staying in Cleveland or going to L.A., right? Uh, like, uh, he's, he just, like, said again that he's expecting to be a Cavalier, like, at the start of the season next year. Yeah, that's what I heard, too. But, like, realistically, it's going to be one of those two. Yeah. And then, like, there's not a lot here that they... These are the top few free agents. I don't... Like, Tim Duncan's not leaving San Antonio. Uh, he might even retire, for all I know. Uh, and then, like, Jimmy Butler's not leaving... They're not... Chicago's not letting him leave. Like, there's there's not a lot here. Maybe, like, Brooke Lopez, I don't know. But there's nothing here. And that's the thing with the the, the, the Hawks, too. They, they need a game-breaker. Who are they going to get? There's no game-breakers on that list you just mentioned. I think overall, in the NBA... Yeah, sorry, there's no, like, there's no available game-breakers. They're definitely, ga like, like guys, LaMarcus Aldridge are a game-breaker, but, like, they're not going to... There's no chance. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Marcus Aldridge, I disagree. Will be in San Antonio, but that's a different conversation for a different time. Um, but it's harder to retool in the NBA. The status quo you see this year, the status quo you see from years past. I mean, the NHL, you all these teams that are contending still have young prospects that are playing, still have developing players. You can add a free agent or two. It's a much more of a team game. There's less players in the NBA, less less yeah. talent level, and these guys. You know, like you're saying, like free agency movement. It's and and I think that's a huge crutch with the NBA historically is just because they don't have the minor league build-up system where you're building talent. They just don't. No one cares. What what top prospects do the Rockets have that are that are playing that could like realistically do that? Like imagine if they did, or what, or 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 the Cavs, even, or the, or I mean the Hawks even. Uh, like breakout guys for next year. Hold on, I'm gonna go look at the roster real quick. No, the Rockets are not. I know Terrence like Jones or or what like but oh but Terrence Jones is gonna become a superstar all of a sudden and change no their... exactly no I'm just saying like he's still like a young player he played in the D League last last year two years ago and then either like last year or this year was like his first real season in the NBA and he was he played pretty good minutes until he got hurt like halfway through the year yeah he's a he's a but he's not gonna be a star he'll be a an NBA starter yeah. maybe like there's no there's no emerging stars I agree like. KJ McDaniels, for example, the rookie this year, like he's a he's a serviceable player. Uh, like Nick Johnson might be a decent NBA player someday. Clint Capella might be, but there's no no one here. Like 
And that's what the problem is with a lot of these draft classes coming in. Like, people say, like, there's a lot of depth, but there's no stars. I'm like, okay. Well, that's what we need is we need stars. We need players to improve the quality of the game. Of the game. We're taking... We're, 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 we're moving... I, I understand we still have the finals to talk about, but I, I'd like to touch on this more. Like, And if players stayed in college more, too, maybe they'd be more seasoned coming into the league. Maybe we have a higher level of uh, draft class. But, yeah. I mean... Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Next year, the Cleveland Cavaliers will be the Eastern Conference favorite. Yes. Yeah, that's. I think they're pretty much the favorite, depending on how many years like LeBron and Kevin Love signed for. But how many years they're together, they'll most likely be the favorite unless Kevin Durant goes to Washington. Next year, the Golden State Warriors will be the Western Conference favorite. Yes. Unquestionably, yes. Yeah, they'll be the favorite, but the West has more talent. But but the point of the fact that like I think that that's something that kind of takes away the charm of the NBA though is the fact that we can sit here more than six months from the start of the next season or oh, or like six-ish months from the start of the next season I guess it's not it's like five months but regardless yeah so yeah we can sit here and say definitively that we know who we expect to win like I could say I, I could pred- I could predict at the end of this season that the that the Warriors and Cavs will meet in the next finals as well. Yeah, and and that's and that's kind of like that kind of turns me off to basketball sometimes. Is because like regardless of whatever happens with player movement or or coaching movement, we kind of know. It's still fun to watch these Titan matchups, but like it sort of takes away from the drama of the playoffs. I have right. to until it's like the matchups that truly. Yeah, elite. like like regardless of whatever drama happened at the beginning of the playoffs, all four of us predicted Cavs and Warriors in the final. Yeah, and it did not change. Like, there was maybe a, a couple moments of doubt in the East, maybe, but not really. There was a couple moments. I don't think there's ever any doubt with the Warriors. I guess the Clippers series. Yeah, wait, not, whatever. Well, the, what the Clippers, like, became good, and we were like, well, maybe the Clippers have a chance. And the then Clippers they blew it. They have depth. They could have maybe challenged if they had more players. But, but, like, the Clippers and the Rockets series, where, like, the Clippers were putting up 125 points a night, we're like, maybe they have a little bit of a chance, but, like, I mean, the Warriors were easily the best team start to finish. Yep. All right, well. Finals now. Yeah, yeah. Finals we're now, that's the parody of the NBA. Let's do finals talk. Uh, so basically right, the whole storyline behind it, you got LeBron carrying the injured Cavs versus Seth Curry and lights-out shooting of the Warriors, Clay Thompson, all that. Uh, speaking of Clay Thompson, though, we're not even sure he's ready. He is no, ready. Yeah, they confirmed. Yeah, they announced it yesterday. Oh, I was not paying attention. I was not. In, I was not home. I was flying. So, just to jump back, that whole play was That's ridiculous. Fun. The fact that he was bleeding out of his ear, and then they're like, "Oh no, you're good. You just, just yeah, don't get concussed." That, yeah. The whole NBA concussion protocol. I, I'm calling that a joke, but that's that's a whole other topic right now. But uh, for uh, what uh, big thing do you expect out of these finals? Do you expect the Warriors just to roll over the Cavs, depending on how healthy Kyrie is? Do you expect Kyrie to be healthy enough to possibly help the Cavs win a championship? Surreal? Uh, so actually, uh, this is... I expect this final to not go more than six games. I don't expect seven games out of this finals. I think that the Warriors are far and away the best team, especially with the Cavs being limited without Kevin Love and with the hobbled Kyrie. Uh, like this has, I think this becomes similar to um, with those without those pieces. It's not that far off from the talent that 2007 LeBron had in that finals. 
No, it's uh, it's not even comparable. If you look at those two teams, I know ESPN just did like a huge piece on it, saying like this team is worse than that 07 Cavs team, or like right next to it. But if you look at just like player by player, this team is ten times better, even with Kevin Love out. But but like but there but there is uh but there's parallels considering like the like obviously J.R. Smith is better than than anything that that team had. Like, uh, yeah. Just to put that in, Sasha Pavlovich was the uh, starting point guard. Yo. And Daniel Gibson was the starting, uh, no, shooting guard and point guard. My bad. Those two. Those yeah. Are the no, no, I agree. Guys. And I agree. But I think that, uh, I think that the comparisons there are just saying that, like, there's, without, especially if Kyrie is hobbled, and he is, um, and without love, like, there's, they, they lack the, the game breaker when LeBron can't. Great games, and he usually can. But I'm saying, like, that I think I understand that comparison. I definitely agree. This this team's better. This yeah. team's better, and it's not close. But like, it's that's a similar vein of team. Uh, and I so there's, I expect the Warriors to actually win in five games. In five, wow, uh, Robert. Yeah, sorry to rain on your parade, Nate, but I mean, oh, maybe right. LeBron James can steal a game or two. But this is an all-time team. They're so deep. They're so good, and it's people. People are talking about how great defensively the how great defensively the Cavs have been. Well, the East is sort of a sort of a crapshoot, and and you look at the West, the 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 Warriors locked down fifty six win teams just back to back, and sort of one and just outclassed everybody they played. I mean, in a much tougher Western Conference, this is literally an all time team. They have all these players. They have Curry's. Healthy Thompson. Other than the head, he's he's healthy. Draymond Green should have been the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Andrew Bogut, Harrison Barnes. Uh, you, you go up and down the list. This is I, I saw something statistically, and based off also of their wins and losses, um, that they if they win in six games, they would technically be like the fifth best team all time. Oh, and also, uh, something that's fun to note is, this is just something interesting I saw, I don't know if you guys saw it. Uh, so, meeting LeBron in the finals means that Curry has has or has to, has faced or will face all four of the other members of the All-NBA First Team in the playoffs. He's Anthony yeah. Davis in the first round, Marcus Gasol in the second round, James Harden in the, in the conference finals, and then LeBron in the, in the finals. And he obviously rounds out the, the last of the All-NBA First Team. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, I saw that said too. That's the first time that's ever happened. And statistically, going on, um, yeah, but that's actually pretty cool. But yeah, statistically, they're also the number one. They're the number one offensive team and number one defensive team. If the Cavs had love, this would be, this would be interesting. This would be quite more interesting. And um, they still have pieces. They have guys settling in the roles: Jared Smith, Mozgov, Tristan. Hey, Mount Shumpert looks like a real NBA player, mind you. Yeah, they're gonna help out and. They'll make it somewhat interesting. At least the games will be watchable. But Warriors aren't going to be denied. They're just a better, deeper team. In every sport, the team that's deeper as well that has that also has the game-breaking talent. In my own opinion, it's just it's just inevitable. It's inevitable what uh, what the the eventual series or game result. You know, and the that that's just that's the way it is with the Warriors. I expect the Warriors to win in six games. I wouldn't be surprised with five. Yeah, like the Warriors, they are the better team. They should win these finals. But I think some people are underestimating the play of like Tristan Thompson, 
how Shumper has been playing, even Dova Dova, granted. He's just a little role player, the energy guy that maybe plays like 15, 20 minutes a game. He's been phenomenal these playoffs for what he like his role on the team is. I just think like people, I'm not going to say are overvaluing the Warriors because they are statistically on paper overall the best team, one of the best teams of all time. But I think depending on how, how healthy Kyrie is, because he's had basically over a week to rest up his knee, rest up his foot, if he can be maybe, because I know they said he's not 100%, if he can be maybe 80 to 85%, then I'd like, I'd give the Cavs a much better shot without him. If Kyrie end up, ends up getting hurt like game one or game two, then I don't think LeBron can carry this team much farther. So right now, my original pick, I said Cavs in six. I'm sticking with it right now. I just think Schumper is going to play good enough defense Curry order. Uh, Clay Thompson, depending on who he's matched up with, if Kyrie can stay with Steph Curry, that'll be great. The Warriors really don't have anyone to guard LeBron at all. Like they'll probably start off with Harrison Barnes, LeBron Torchstone for like forty something last time they played, and if they switch with Draymond Green, then you have a ma- uh, mismatch down low with Tristan Thompson and Barnes. So I think that's going to play into it, and then J.R. Smith's shooting has been phenomenal. You get all off the bench could probably could do some. LeBron guarding. He's done that in the past. Yeah, but he's still... Like, he, I don't know. He, he, yeah, he, he got Alex have, an elite wing defender. I want to I say elite. If I'm the Warriors, I'd, there. I'm the Warriors I'd much rather see uh, Draymond Green on LeBron, but then that just has a mismatch down low. Uh, I'd rather have Green open offensively, or more free-throw offensively, than you have Iguodala getting more of the minutes, but I, I see the point. Um, but also, another point also to consider, considering who David Blatt is, um, LeBron James is the head coach, and now LeBron mm-hmm. James is the uh, out-coach Alvin Gentry, Ron Adams, and Steve Kerr. I also do not see that happening. I agree. I also do not see, you know, the best offensive mind who just got hired by the Pelicans. We'll touch on that. Um, the best defensive mind in the game, Ron Adams, and a young, vibrant coach. LeBron James is a great player, but uh, he's not, I mean, he's done well, coached them through the East, but he's not going to do it now. Alvin Gentry is really underrated, I think, as a coach. He's, he was good. Like, he took a he took an aging Suns team to the Western Conference Finals and within two games of the Finals. Like, he's, he's a good coach. Before we get to that, let's, um, so, Nate, Cavs and Six. Yeah, I'm going Cavs in six, maybe seven. It all depends on Kyrie. Like, if Kyrie can do, because uh, game four of the Hawks series, he actually looks somewhat healthy. And now he's, like I said, he's had a week to rest up. If he can drive to the hoop somewhat as effectively as he used to, because he's always going to be an elite three-point shooter, that part of his game will never leave him, no matter how bad his knee hurts. But if he can just be, like, 85% healthy for the series, i say Cavs in six. Finals MVP? Uh, I feel like the uh, pick should be LeBron, but I'm sticking with Kyrie. I think if he toughs it out, this is all depends on his health. If he can tough it out, play to 85%, drop maybe like 20, 25 points a game because he'll be more of a passer, I'm, I'll go Kyrie with it. Probably not a smart pick depending on his health, but I got faith in Uncle Drew. The Warriors one to five at Steph Curry. It's his team. He, He's he's the best player on the best team in the league, and he's going to continue to do that. Well, likewise, just Warriors and six. 
Steph Curry also finals MVP. It'll be fun. The last few games of the NBA season regardless. Um, let's get to some coaching hires, NBA, NHL. Um, I'm not sure in all uh, you guys were touching on. We just touched on Gentry. Uh, I do like in the NBA. I do like uh, I do like the hire for the Falcons. I'm not sure how, how that's going to keep Anthony Davis in uh, New Orleans. I'm not sure if that's the caliber of coach, but it'll make them more competitive. It'll uh, add some uh, actual coaching, something Monty Williams doesn't really provide. Right. Um, Nice building block, make themselves a five or six seed in the West. That's, it's not gonna take them farther. He's a bridge coach, in my man. Yeah. Um. Fred Hoiberg. Yeah. In, uh, in Chicago after the Thibodeau debacle, we've already covered that. Uh, but yeah, we just move to Hoiberg. Um. I don't know. As a Bulls fan. I find myself harder to be invested to watch a team and an organization that's, uh, to be honest, this is a little sidebar, like a short minute sidebar. I find myself harder to be invested in an organization that's historically just not really respected their coaches. And you guys look at the farther history with a dysfunctional front office and an owner that likely really doesn't care about the Bulls more than he cares about his White Sox because he also owns the White Sox. Um, you know they they did this with they also had a dysfunctional Jared Manager and Jerry Krause in the Jordan years. And when I have an all-time team in hockey, I find myself being sort of turned off by all of the extramarital and divorce issues in the Bulls and the childish aspects. I can't be turned on by this signing. I I I've heard good things, but I just can't be like ecstatic considering everything that's happened in, in other contexts and other sports here. I just can't. I, yeah. I, I don't know. What I've read, Hoiberg's actually like a phenomenal offensive coach. I yeah. really, I never watched much Iowa State besides in like March Madness and they've only lasted like a couple of rounds every year. Highest scoring regular season team I think the last couple of years. Uh, his yeah, so that'll definitely help out offensive struggles that they had like this postseason specifically against the Cavs and like yeah, their that's defense. Not specifically my point like no I, I, I understand your point I, I understand it's, it's it's more like the the poor the poor management and the poor relationship building with like with with their personnel that that's just like that's like extracurricular things that, that should not interfere with Basketball operations. The greatest thing to me, well, the greatest thing, that, the funniest thing to me that I heard was they said that they were going to go through an extensive coaching search right after they sent out a press release trashing Thibodeau for no reason, and within three days, Hoiberg reported as the next Bulls coach. Wow, what a search! That their buddy, what, how shocking that they, everyone predicted Hoiberg would be the coach in February. What an extensive coaching search. Right. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Is Tibbs taking a job? Do you think Tibbs is getting a job anywhere now? Because uh, most of these spots, are, most of these uh, coaching spots are filled right now. Uh, Denver is the only open spot right now. Uh-huh. I can see Maybe. LA making a run at him. Oh yeah, LA needs to fire uh, fire Byron Scott. Honestly, LA uh, isn't firing Byron Scott. I think you all. I think you guys know where Thibodeau is going. Byron yeah, Scott is an awful coach. How do you not believe in advanced metrics? That doesn't he's even make sense. He's not getting fired, though. He's not getting fired this season, though. 
And I think you guys, uh, my point is, I think you guys know where Thibodeau is going considering the results of the finals. Do you think oh. LeBron James lets Tom Thibodeau sit there and let David Blatt sit there? You think, I, I, you really think so? Thibodeau? David, Tom Thibodeau, I'm calling it right now, will be the next Cleveland Cavaliers head coach. I don't, I can't see that. I could definitely I see did, that. Why I didn't Ron, expect Ron, Ron all the shots anyway. Why wouldn't he want Thibodeau? Uh, oh no! I like, but but I, I would be surprised if the Cavs fired David Blatt after making the finals. Yeah, they fired, like, uh, they fired the Mike Brown after getting after making the finals. Or something. Mike Brown is also objectively a terrible coach. Yeah, is Mike David Blatt not a terrible Mike coach? Brown might have been, well, I, Mike Brown might be the worst coach I've ever seen in my life. David Blatt was pulled a Chris Webber and didn't get called for it. All right, he pulled a Chris Webber and didn't get called for it. David Blatt. Is riding the coach. LeBron James is the head coach, the, the current head coach of Cleveland Cavaliers. If I was in Cleveland, I would fire David Blatt and pounce on Thibodeau, offer him six or seven million a year, and that guy's gonna carry you. And you'll probably win, and you'll probably have a dynasty. I, I'm I agree, but that that's not how it's gonna work. They're not because yeah. of the because of the uh, like Mike Brown was fired after being the coach for how many years was he the coach there? He was there, I think, the second year LeBron was in the elite. Yeah, so he had he had had a tenure, and they had come up short over and over again, and that and that was just kind of like, yeah, that, you can't it, you you face planted in the finals, like you can't do this. But the David Blatt being a first year head coach, I I doubt they fire him after one year. The whole Mike Brown firing came after LeBron like publicly said he'd love to play for like a former NBA player. That's why they hired Byron Scott right after because they're like, all right, we can do that to maybe get LeBron back. LeBron right. went to Miami. The rest is history. If anything, right. Blatt being a first-year head coach makes it easier to fire him because he's not tenured and people won't throw an uproar. Everyone, no, uh, Cavs fans criticize Blatt. Do they not, Nate? No, in the beginning of the season when David Blatt was basically had some of the worst lineups I've ever seen with like Sean Marion and Mike Miller starting. All Sean like Marion had, shooting guard? Amazing. Yeah, he, he started the season, which <laughs> still never made sense to me. But then again, you look at the lineup they had compared to now. It kind of made sense because they just have a bunch of old guys on the bench that are basically trying to get a rink. Because LeBron playing. told him to sit out, and then he started making a lineup cards. He literally, that, that's exactly what happened. And LeBron is 31 years old. He's not 23 or 24 and, you know, that whole career ahead of him. Tom Thibodeau will be the next Cleveland Cavaliers head coach. I would go to Vegas with this. Interesting. I can't, like, the whole outcry on, like, Cavs Twitter the past couple months has been, like, Happy for David Blatt. I'd like to see what he's doing. Like he's done, he's done a pretty good job managing the lineups with uh, like going small ball against the Hawks, against the Bulls, Celtics. He's managing the lineups or LeBron's managing the lineups. I got to give Blatt credit because he's the coach. I still think LeBron has the final say. Like he's had on every team he's played for. But I don't think they get rid of David Blatt after one season, especially if say if they win the championship this year. You should be rooting for this. I'm not. I mean, he's he's taken us this far. I can't just back down the coach now. Can't bad talk him now. Oh yeah, okay. Come October, ah, Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, what a coach, man. I, I was waiting for this. I was. Ah, you all. You're gonna you're gonna be gloating. <laughs> when David Black goes down as the next Phil Jackson, I'll have the last laugh. Okay, let's. <laughs> the next, let's, well, let's move on to. All right, moving on to <laughs> hockey. Let's do hockey. Um, uh, NHL coaching hires. I, I think I, I didn't. 
uh, see all of them. Three of touch on that. Uh, there's the the three. Oh boy. Time out. This short, brief subject is brought to you by uh, NoCoastBias.com. You can read about it at NoCoastBias.com. Uh, shout out to Derek for having a son born. Shout out to Baron for being Derek's son, who was just born. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, serious. shout out. That's a good shout out. I'm glad we. I'm glad we got that in. Uh, thank you. Thank you to anonymous phone call in my in my home. Uh, yeah. So the recent hires, uh, the last couple of days, uh, Dan Bilesma coaching the Sabres. Horrible mistake. First of all, I just like to say that. Uh, Peter DeBoer hired as the coach of the Sharks, and. Devil's name, John Hines is a new coach. I'm not gonna lie, I don't know who that is. Um, but I, I know that guy's from Rhode Island. That's all I know. He was on the local news last night. They mentioned that. So fun fact, he's from Rhode Island. Uh, I don't know. Dan Biles most kind of your guy. That's like they sort of see Jack Eichel. They're gonna try to like do the same thing that the Matt Biles might have with Crosby. I can't fault that. I think he's kind of the coach, per, like the, a good coach for your rebuild. Maybe a bridge coach, um, you know, maybe like a little like Dennis Savard or something like the Hawks had before Fineville. I can't fault that. Um, just have to see how the roster constructs go. He's not exactly going to be your defensive coach, so they're going to have to. So I mean, Evander Kane and Jack Eichel are going to have to step up, and whatever other prospects they get. Um, and then with John Hines, uh, I mean, that's a classic Devils move. All I've heard is uh, defense, defense, neutral zone trap. That sounds like the classic Devils move, that they sort of want to get back that, that they think that's the best way to win the Cup. I mean, I'm not sure how that is in the modern era, how that, that's going to work for them in the modern era, but I like both hires. I'm not going to rag on them. I like both hires. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get Brock in on this first before I say anything. Um, he's been calling for a while. I don't uh, like the Dan Bilsma hiring. Um, I think that he's not a bad coach, but uh, I think you're going to learn when you throw him into a situation with a, a very young team like the Sabres. Because the deal with him is whenever he got to Pittsburgh, he got pretty much handed Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and in prime Marc-Andre Fleury, Chris Letang. He had all these guys that were just going to be good no matter who coached him. And it made him look really good winning a cup, being a top contender every single year. I think when you, you take him over to the Sabres now, where they don't really have anything like that. They have you know, the incoming Jack Eichel, who we all assume he's going to be very good, but you just don't know. But you don't really have anybody else behind him too much. They're all still young and building up. I think that it's not a good hire, and he's not going to look good because this is going to be a team that's going to just kind of have this one kid who's going to be great while everyone else is still trying to get their skates underneath him. And he's he's not going to look good. I think that he was just more of kind of handed everything in Pittsburgh, and it made him look really really good. I think that you should more credit uh, Pittsburgh's greatness over the years to their GM, who had you know picked up Crosby, Malkin, you know obviously Flurry and Latang and all those guys, and it just made him look really good. As for Peter DeBoer, I like him. I, I think he's going to be good for the Sharks. Uh, I thought he was good with the. I thought he was good with the. Uh, with the Devils, you know, he just kind of he did what he had to do there. You know, he was stuck with the aging and old Martin Brodeur for the longest time, who you know still looked really good in his old years. Um, 
you know, he had a good some good young guys there that he was working really well with, but it just seemed like it was time for him to move on. So I think the Sharks are going to definitely benefit with him. Um, before Surreal comments, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Is Dan Bailsma not another Alfred Hitchcock, uh, Bruce Boudreau, or Elaine Vigneault? Uh, I, I think... Uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> way, to, way to bring up Alfred and Ken Hitchcock. Oh, Ken Hitchcock. My God, that's awesome. <laughs> I was like, thanks for the movie reference. Movie reference for everyone today. Ken Hitchcock. Uh, I give yes, a there is no excuse for that Penguins team with that kind of talent with Sidney Crosby of getting Malkin to have only won one cup. Like that's, Those are generational players, and they definitely should have more than one cup. And then second thing, um, do you think he's the right coach for your, for your team, Surreal? I mean... You guys, I, I'm not familiar with the prospects you have. Maybe you have some high-level prospects, but when I look at that team, it's another, it's, an, it's a still a very aging core. Is this a guy that's gonna, you know, take you over the top or help? Okay, this is. I think this is another one of those. Uh, this is another bridge project. Uh, uh, the the Sharks window is closed. It's objectively it is closed. There is like you can hope for the cup with this core, but it's not there. Like you, this team. Uh, what? Go ahead. Yeah. So this this squad right now, the the players they skate out on the ice, this roster is not going to get it done, whether we like it or not. So I think this is another one of those, this is a bridge project. Uh, and DeBoer's is, is, I think a good coach. He's he's been through some, uh, we'll say thin on talent, past teams. The Devils are not were not talented when he was there. Uh, the uh, the he he coached the Panthers. They weren't talented when he was there. Obviously, the Panthers have, are now becoming semi-talented. And then, and then, uh, sorry, I have a little one here with me. Hello, say hello. Um, and I think that it's a it, this is a project. I think it's an. I'm not. I'm not opposed to the hire. You building around Bill uh, Pavelski? It's got to be Kachur and Pavelski right now, yeah. Those are two good guys to build around. I don't like Kachur, but that's that's personal. That's a personal vendetta. Not superstar level players. I mean, maybe maybe actually they are, but love to see. How I would say Pavelski is a superstar. Kachur should be a superstar talent wise, but he's not. Yeah, I, I mean, I got no faults with any of the hires because all these teams have some prospects and good and bridge coaches. I like don't know. the the Sharks prospect pool is not good. They've got a they've got a couple, but they, it's not their their farm system is not as strong as I want it to be, especially given the fact that there's there's they're lacking uh, younger talent on the roster. That's one of the older teams. Oh, okay, fair enough. You're the Sharks fan. Uh, I do love the Devils hire, considering that it's the sort of style they want to mold themselves into again. They want to get back to that Broder and Niedermeyer and Scott Stevens days where they just sort of grind teams into 1-0 and 2-1 win, wins and play boring hockey, which is fine. But it works for them. Yeah. Um, well, right. just what coaching jobs are open in the NHL right now? I have no idea. I think they're all filled, if I'm not mistaken. For now. Yeah, For now. I'll, 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 just, I'll check that. I'll check that just to be sure, but I, I believe that they are. Oh, uh, the, have the Red Wings made a hire yet? 
They did. They hired a guy from within. Um, Redmond's new head coach. Hold on. Oh, also, while you're looking that up, uh, the Flyers did fire uh, did hire Dave Haxtell, but I don't uh, I don't know much about him. Uh, Jeff Blashill, who's within the Red Wings, they haven't officially hired him. But the Red Wings GM loves him, and they're just going through the process, and it seems like he's going to be the next Wings coach. Um, Ken Holland, I believe, is the Red Wings GM. He's been around for a while, so you have to You have to trust him. I feel like you have to trust anything. Though. Generally, what the Red Wings do, it's got to be trusted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, considering what the, what what uh, what he does, Jeff Blishill seems like a good hire. I, I can't comment on more because I also hate the Red Wings, but, uh, yeah. I was just going to say, maybe uh, Tom Thibodeau takes his talents over to the NHL. Yo. That's <laughs> a nice uh, little 2-3 zone Man, on if, defense. Could you imagine if, like, say, somehow Duncan Keith was not on the Hawks and was on a team Tom Thibodeau coached the NHL? Man, that would keep play, like, 45 minutes a game. <laughs> he would literally die within a week. Duncan Keith wouldn't be playing right now. At halftime, he'd just be running wind sprints and stairs. You guys, you guys ever seen Miracle where where the where Kurt oh, Russell and all like, doing like the, the woods? Yeah, he just had dog, he just had them doing that all the time. That's a real, that's true too. That's a true story. All of it. Yeah. Nobody knows how many lines they actually did, which is terrifying. I used to play hockey, as I've told you guys, and those Herbies, as we call them, were the worst things in the world. <laughs> oh man. Uh. Yeah, so uh, we'll jump over to uh, uh, Seth Blatter and the whole FIFA whole thing now. Just has hijacked ESPN the past couple of days. I found myself watching the whole voting process for two and a half hours. I didn't even know it was on. Yo. I looked they, up at my they TV. haven't hired. They haven't got a new president yet, have they? They, they, they cannot. Board. They can't replace him because they're supposed to. Uh, the outgoing president has to give four or five months notice or something. So technically, he can't just up and leave. So they have four months of Seth Blatter still technically in charge, I think. Hmm. Well, he'll be in a U.S. prison here very soon. Right. <laughs> that was just the quickest like change of events. He went off basically saying, I'm the president of all. I own Fire all of you. Friday, and then To just left. like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll step down. FBI I'm not hired. Re-elected. Well, there's a chain of events because um, I believe it was a month ago where the report came out that he was not going to step on U.S. soil ever again because the FBI was heavily investigating him, and he was afraid of getting incarcerated. So he was not. Gonna, so that, that report came out. Then I believe it was Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm not sure of the exact day where uh, Swedish officials arrested, I believe, eight or nine FIFA, uh, FIFA, di- FIFA dignitaries and powers from around the world. And from in a Swedish hotel on behalf of the FBI, who are investigating Ladder and FIFA on bribe and corruption charges, which are warranted. Let's be honest. Um, right. And then then came the election Friday, and Ladder defiantly saying that he's happy for what he's going through and going through his whole life story. And then he curiously resigns. <laughs> um, I think Ladder. I'm not sure on the legal system, but does he lose uh, 
does he get away scot or does he does he give it by himself time or get away like try to get away scot free if he's not the current in line FIFA president? No, they're still they're still investigating him. He uh, because they're they're investigating stuff that had happened while he was president. So I mean, he's still up for grabs in terms of being able to get arrested and stuff like that. A lot of people are saying that give it a couple more days and he's probably going to be arrested by the FBI. But. I understand that. My question is, though, does this benefit him to resign in any way? Does this benefit him time in the in the process? I'm not because I I can't. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't see why it should. Yeah, I don't no. think it would. It, it only I, I benefits know. the world. It doesn't benefit him. I don't know his thought process because he did it uh, so quickly. If I was him, I might as well just have stayed until and went down with the ship. But. Uh, I think maybe he thought, like, all right, if I do this, they'll just be like, oh, no, he's a good guy. He stepped down. He knew he was wrong. We'll just forget about the past 20 years. Or or yeah. just considering the uh, him, him t- taking the complete U-turn and be like, yeah, FIFA needs a lot of restructuring. Like, thanks. Yeah. It's not like you were in charge of the entire thing this entire time. For all we know, he just wanted to be the ultimate jackass and stick around and get reelected just so he could prove a point that I will always be elected as long as I'm alive and then just go away. He did, he did call for re- like a re-election soon, right away after. Yeah. He's like, I'm yep. going to get elected anyway. Um, the thing that stemmed from his power, uh, interestingly and ironically enough, was... None of the superpower countries, like, say, not lots of superpower, power countries like France or England or U.S. or any of those, like, democratic countries, or even in Europe, really supported him. The thing that drove his power and his presidency through the years and his overall corruption and destruction of the game, soccer, is the fact that he... A tiny little country like, say, Sri Lanka has the same level of vote as England or the U.S. So his... Tremendous amounts of bribes and money to the smaller countries. So, like, he has 133 votes. It would all come from those smaller kinds of countries, and then he's reelected. Right. Despite the smaller populations, he manipulated the system down to a T. I'm going to give him credit because he's an evil genius. I'm going to give him credit to this guy. He's an evil genius, but um, it's about a time for restructuring. It does it does great things for the game of soccer. This is this is the world's game. Despite all the all our conversations about uh, the NHL, NBA, there's nothing like soccer, and he's sort of been—I mean, it's still massively popular because people love it—but he's been driving it into the ground, and it's also a good thing for humans, human rights. Now, uh, likely uh, Qatar will not have a ball yeah, be right. around in 2022. Yep. There's also the threat That's of Russia a... losing the the cup in 2018 because of their human rights transgressions. Right. That's, I was going to say, that's going to be the most interesting thing is what's going to happen with Russia and Qatar, you know, because that was so controversial whenever they were awarded. I mean, Jesus Christ, Qatar gets up to like 130 degrees in the summer and they want to have a World Cup there. Like it was they were going to make it a Winter World Cup, actually. They are going to make it a Winter and, World and, Cup. And interrupt everybody's season. That's like whenever Champions League and the Premier League and right. La Liga are always, like, they're like in the heat in the winter and they were going to ruin it. And everyone like, scoffed at that. They're like, really? Come on. Yeah. It was only it was, yeah. So I mean, there. I think he even said himself, uh, like in a press release or whatever, that Russia and Qatar um, should be sleeping with like one eye open or something like that. Like they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be comfortable right now. I mean, how many? How much money do you think? Just as a sidebar, how much money do you think Qatar gave him in FIFA? Three. I mean, like billions. 
We're we gonna go that far. I, it might be. Who knows? A lot, some money. He'll just yeah. <laughs> just, and, and just because, like, and this is huge for, huge for, because FIFA is the most is the most powerful sports organization in the world, and it's not close. Uh, and this is definitely huge for just overall, like, growing the game and returning it to some kind of. Like, well, that's why like, growing the game in terms of in terms of like, st- standing, not in terms of like, overall influence. Influence obviously influences. So, uh, influence more people than any other sports organization in the world. It depends on who takes power now and how much of a restructuring they have because likely the, all the officials that were under Blatter were used to the power structure and the corruption and bribery systems that he had. It's not out of the question that whoever's next in power just continues the status quo as soon as the FBI takes off the heat in a year or two or however long. It's not out of the question. So it just has to be uh, a more radical upheaval, in my opinion. I mean, it's still good. It's still good. I'm happy. Uh, we talked about it a few weeks ago, how Seth Ladder's in the same class as... Uh, he, he's in a Roger class of his Goodell. own. He's <laughs> a class of his own, yeah. He's above Roger Goodell and Gary Bettman. And, uh, yeah, this, was, this, was, this is a good start, at least. This is a good start in my mind. Someone made a joke. I'm not sure if you, if you guys watched Game 7 between the Rangers and, and Lightning. They showed Roger Goodell and Gary Bettman on the screen. Oh, yeah, I saw it. And then someone made a joke. Roger Goodell and Gary Bettman together at the same time. The only thing that's missing is Sepp Blatter. <laughs> so, yeah. they, also, they also, I think the Onion released an article about, <laughs> in, in, light of, in light of all the, all the FIFA controversy, <laughs> controversy uh, <just> <laughs> The, the 2015 World Cup will be starting uh, this evening in, in, in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was there was a, um, a... He was a former FIFA guy, basically, in Africa, and he, like, held up a, a picture. Like a, he printed out the Onions copy and was, like, saying, because of all this, the U.S. is getting a, a World Cup right now or whatever, and, of course, it was an Onion yeah. article... And it was like, oh he had like a press conference in his house, yeah. sitting at a webcam, holding up a piece of paper <laughs> yeah. from the Onion. <laughs> uh, I don't do. You, I don't know if you guys watch uh, last week tonight with John Oliver, but he's got a lot to pay up to now, because on this last episode, his big feature was FIFA, and he was saying if we can get if Seb Blatter resigns or gets him to step down, he'll drink a Budweiser and say Bud Light Lime and say it's champagne. He'll drink every he'll eat everything off of McDonald's dollar menu. He'll wear Adidas's new terrible shoes that make him look like a Greek god. Like all these ridiculous things. And uh, when it got announced, he tweeted a picture of Bud Light Lime and it just said champagne. <laughs> yeah, I know John Oliver. I think last year, like two years ago, he called out Seb Blatter and the whole FIFA. Yeah, he did it last year. Yeah. And then he just came back with it. I really I don't watch that show too much, but I watched like the clip of it. It's like the Daily Show. It's, yeah. uh, with John Stewart leaving now, John Oliver's probably gonna take over that mantle. That's a different cop well, topic. But he's not. But yeah. No, not 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 the Daily Show mantle, but like well, uh, the whole like oh how, yeah yeah how and, and all stuff, that like, like him yeah. <sighs> but uh, do you think U.S. gets the twenty twenty two? I think that's the oh, World okay. Cup now. I would, I would, I other sites, I, I think about Argentina, uh, maybe like 20, 2018. Considering the fact that um, 
when you have one of the generational talents and you have a soccer crazed country, right? I think Argentina should be rewarded one of those. Open- and that likely would be his last World Cup too. Yeah, yeah. Messi should get to play in his home country, but I think Argentina should be rewarded again. Um, I mean, that's one of the best players of all time in soccer. Maybe like yeah. top two, like top ten. Like you got you got in and in, in a in a great country like that. Yeah, I agree. U.S. maybe 2022, but then there's other options there. Um, hey, the the U.S. and particularly Dallas has a particular stadium that is perfect for big World Cup soccer. Yeah, but the last time they did it, they did it to build the game right in the U.S., but it didn't, it didn't really Jerry, help. Jerry World wasn't around. Jerry World's not going to be the reason that soccer grows. The reason you have World Cup is right to, in, in countries. Gary Jones, for all of them, he can throw money all he wants, but it's not going to exactly make a difference. I don't know. It's worked with other countries before. I mean, if like if we want to just throw stadiums around, if someone wants to come play at Gillette, we you know, have at it. We got the New England Revolution up here. They have it in each major market. So you have uh, the Rose Bowl. You have uh, you have Jerry World, whatever it's called, whatever its actual name is. I don't know. AT and T Stadium. AT and T. We'll go Jerry World. That's a better name. Jerry World. Yes. Uh, Gillette Stadium in Boston. Soldier Field, even though it's probably the lesser event of all the venues, but that, that would also be used yeah, um, right. in Chicago. Probably, yeah. there, well, there's got to be, like where the Galaxy play. I don't even know where they play. You, know, you have to have eight stadiums. You have to have eight stadiums. So, LA, uh, like where the Galaxy play would have to be one of them. No, they're supposed to do... It also goes with eight different markets as well. So it's either Rose Bowl or where the Galaxy play. I, I have to no, go Rose Bowl. There's the LA Coliseum as well. They'll choose like the eight biggest stadiums just to make the most money. Well, you gotta go even more. Then Miami, Miami. Which means they'll, means they'll go to the big house in Michigan. Big yeah. house in Michigan, Sun Life Stadium in Miami. Um, yeah, Miami needs to be a spot just because that's where everyone's gonna just go rage, like what they did in Brazil. They just met on the beach every day and just got hammered all the time. You have one maybe in, maybe in Quest Field in Seattle. That's really right. incredible. I know Seattle, the Sounders is like, a, I think they're good in the MLS. I've seen Yeah, this, the Sounders yeah. are good. The Sounders yeah, and the Galaxy are class the MLS. So we'll have that. But this is all speculative stuff, but. Yeah, but anyway, right. I mean, I'm the last guy to come to for uh, inside FIFA stuff, unless it's about FIFA 15. Like, if you want to play me in that, have a ball out. But Who's your team? I mean, I switched off. I, I started playing as Portugal up, because I'm Portuguese, so. Holland's where it's at. Holland's where it's at. Deutschland. Arian Robin and Wesley Schneider and, and company, man, they, 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 they're so much fun to play with. Don't watch. I, I usually, I'll pick Barcelona from time to time. Wow. I, mean, I, just, I like playing his name, he's my favorite player. Wow. It's all about Chelsea. Yeah, that's my, oh, that's my Chelsea's team. so boring. Chelsea's awesome. More Chelsea, goals than anyone from the Premier League. The Devils, the 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 old school Chicago Bears of, of soccer. They just they just killed the game. They win chance. They they won this year and the big the game, man. We got we got it's so boring. Three to of the best the players in the world. Oh, whatever. Uh, I like I like some other guy. I just felt like their 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 game is way too structured to be exciting. They run the neutral zone trap effectively. That's what they do. It's hey, literally they're you, way too structured score, to be exciting. Score a lot of goals and you don't let a goal a lot of goals in, you win the Premier League. Alright. 
I, I'm not taking credit from that. I'm just saying their style of play, whatever. If, if it was my team, I wouldn't care either. Listen, you win whatever way possible, right? So <laughs> credit to you, Brock. Uh, so, Rob, what's your uh, just normal team then, club team, not a uh, world team? I mean, I don't have a club team considering uh, I don't root for – I mean, I, I'll watch it, but I don't, I, I don't, I'm not invested in any uh, – yeah, me neither. I'm not invested in any club team. I, I like the Netherlands because I, I would root for Poland. Contrary to Bob if you guys are ever interested, we had three of the greatest teams ever to not win the World Cup in the 70s. But we, uh, FIFA, considering now the FIFA allegations, our football program has been destroyed. Um, and a lot of the great German players are Polish, and a lot of the great overall players from Poland uh, go over to Germany. So. We could have been a contender the past few years. Maybe in effect it will change sometime, but for now I'll just be invested in the Netherlands whenever big tournaments come around. Unless Poland changes something. I wish, man. I wish. I wish. I really do. It hurts so bad. It hurts so bad. I think they're like two stars on FIFA maybe. <laughs> Might be three. That's my whole extensive you go, knowledge. Go back to 1974. That was one of the greatest teams ever. And they, and I'm going a little. It's not it's a small rant. They only lost because Germany refused to postpone a game where the field was basically unplayable. And Poland, my dad still talks about it to this day because he's a bitter sports fan like me. He he remembers watching that game, and a lot of and Poland basically had goals, so a lot of the balls would just stop right before the goal line in the mud. Excellent. That was in the and that was in the semifinal. Against Germany, and then Germany went on to win, and then Germany went on to win the cup 1-0. You got to keep the ball in the air. That game against Germany, Poland had to keep it in the air. Elevate the ball, guys. Elevate the say, elevate the puck. Yeah. Elevate the ball. Dude, they were fast. That's, that's elevate soccer. Elevate the puck does not apply to soccer. Apply to soccer. It's a pretty big goal, guys. It's a pretty big goal. If the ball's gonna cross the line. It's gonna cross the line. Yeah, like, <laughs> soccer 101, put the ball in the air, let it touch the nylon. That's, hey, you guys. That's all One I day they'll be great, and you won't laugh. One day they'll be great again, and you won't laugh. <laughs> One day India will be great, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess we'll just end on our yeah. exclusive soccer knowledge. This well, is a side note, though, for, for every tennis fan out there, oh. uh, just so everyone knows that's listening, uh, Nadal, Rafael Nadal did lose. For the first time in five years at the French Open, that's exciting. Just a side note, he's won five French Open titles in a row, going for the sixth, and it came up short. That's all I got. We're done here. <laughs> all right, so we just ended off on uh, some quality soccer and tennis. You know, with two of America's pastimes. Yo, step of our analysis. Yeah, but uh, for uh, Robert Surreal Brock, it's Nate signing off. Go Cavs. Go Hawks.